Thank you for listening to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast from Asheville, North Carolina. For more information on Trinity Baptist Church, please visit tbcashville.org. Or to learn more about our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton, please visit ralphsextonministries.com. The speaker for today is our senior pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton. Take your Bible this Sunday morning and turn with me to the book of Psalms, if you would. Psalms chapter number 19. Psalms 19. While you're turning to Psalms 19 in the Old Testament, I'd like to refresh your memory about our vision for 2020, to see the Lord in all that we do. Our vision that everything this church is committed to is to bring glory and honor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want to see happen. That's what we prayerfully ask God to do. And for me to do that, to have that clear vision in 2020 to see the Lord, I have to review my position as a believer, a saved person, in the body of Christ. And a part of that is to know that I'm redeemed and that I remember. All through the Word of God, we find different texts where God encourages us to remember. And we don't forget what he's done for us, what he's accomplished in our lives. A part of that review is to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that I've been born again, that I've been saved. I'm not talking about church membership. I'm not talking about water baptism or sprinkling or memorizing catechisms. I can't do anything to save me. I've got to have the grace of God extended to my life. Secondly, I have to review my position in the Lord that if I have lost ground, that I'm not where I need to be, that maybe I've grown careless and sadly, maybe even reckless. And when I do that as a backslider or out of fellowship, I have a loss of reality. The wages of sin are damaging and destructive even for people of faith that have walked away from God. And then the third review that I would do is of my soul's salvation. Do I know that I know that I know I've been born again. Have I believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or am I a rebel? And if I become a rebel against the things of God, then I discover in my life there are no restraints. I don't restrain my conduct or my vocabulary or anything that I do because I'm a rebel against the Lord. So I want to view my position in the body of Christ. Secondly, I want to view my position in the power of his word. Is, am I being robbed in my daily life by fellowship with the Bible, the word of God? It's so easy to be busy making a living, working on our careers, going to college, the university, that we neglect the word of God. And so if I'm going to have the right vision, a biblical worldview going into 2020, I need to review my position in the word of God the power of his word. Thirdly, I need to review my position in my, the foundation of my faith or the foundation of doctrine. 
I need to know what a belief. I need to know why I believe that. That's why we've reopened the Bible Institute with new energy and new vigor because we feel like what's coming on our world, on our nation, and on our families, we need to have the strength of the Word of God. It's a scary thing to face life get out of bed in the morning and turn on the news and pour a cup of coffee and not have Jesus in your heart. It's a scary thing to have family and friends, to have a marriage and children, to be going through a divorce, to be going through a financial reversal, to be going to the cemetery and to bury someone you love and not have the Lord Jesus Christ. So I need to review my position in the doctrine of what do I believe and why do I believe that. And then the last one will be reviewing my position in the element of time that I understand that I'm here for a fleeting moment. Time is so quick. Life is so short that I need to remember where am I. Uh, we always talk about the element of time when we talk about the past, we talk about the present, and we talk about the future. We talk about when we're in the Holy Land, we're teaching, we talk about here's what happened in the past, here's what's going on right now, here's the prophecy that's in the Word of God. This is what's getting ready to happen. Past, present, future. Now here we are in church at Sunday morning. It's January the 12th on the calendar. But as we gather here, I cannot recall yesterday. I can't back up, hit the replay button, and say I want to do it over. You can't do that. It's gone. This is right now, the moment that I'm in. I can't even go to tomorrow and say, I want to get an early start on tomorrow. I want to be successful on tomorrow. I can't do that. Tomorrow is not here. The future's not here. The past is gone, and the future's not arrived. All I've got is this very moment, the present. And that's why we realize that if I'm alive today, if I'm in the building, if I'm in the house of God, we're together, that this day, this moment is a gift from God. Realize that? You got out of bed, you woke up, you're able to dress yourself, come to church. And so God gave you a gift. And that gift, that's why we call today the present, because it is a gift. In Psalms 19, and verse number 8, it says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. And then notice that next phrase. Enlightening the eyes. Enlightening the eyes, giving you more ability to see. What God's saying, if you want vision for 2020, you want vision for your personal life, for your marriage, for your family, for your church, you've got to have clear vision. You've got to have the ability to focus and know what really matters in life. If you go to the optometrist, have you noticed when they're adjusting your glasses or your vision, they'll, they'll put one lens over this eye and say, is that better or is that not as clear? Is this clear, is that sharper, or is that fuzzy? Click, click. And then he'll do the other one. Then in a little bit, he'll put both of the adjustments together, and he'll say, now, how's that? Is this better or is this worse? And you finally tell him, that's clear vision. I can see sharp, distinct. It's 2020. It's clear. And what God's saying in Psalms 19, verse 8, if I want to have clear vision, 
on what matters in my life, in your life, the life of your family. I've got to have the Word of God. That's what's going to enlighten my eyes. That's what's going to produce local revival in my being and my heart. And then while you're in the Old Testament, turn over just a few pages to the book of Proverbs, if you would. Go to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29. And when we begin to think about this element of vision and seeing the Lord and having Him in our lives, look what it says in Proverbs 29 and verse 18. The Bible says, where there is no what? No vision. That's talking about a spiritual desire, looking forward, thinking not about myself, but thinking about the cause of Christ. He says, if the church doesn't have that, if a Christian family doesn't have that, if a Christian individual doesn't have that, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. What does the law have to do with my vision? Well, you see, if I'm going to walk in righteousness and have the clear vision, then I've got to follow the statutes or the law of God. If I follow the, the law of the world, I'm going to be a messed up human being. Because the world's telling me to get happy, I've got to do this and this and this. And all of them, 90% of them, are all destructive. They're, they're just taking away and shortening your life. And it doesn't produce but what the Bible refers to, but the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, if I'm going to have this biblical worldview, the church, what we see today, in most of our churches across the country, that's not what Jesus and the disciples uh, the apostles, they intended. Uh, the word church that's in your Bible is found 80 different times inside the Scripture. You can write that down. About 80 different times Scripture teaches us about this word church. The first time it's mentioned is found in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18. And there's where we hear that Greek word ecclesia. The Greek word ecclesia. And that word means a, a called out group. A group that's called out. That word ecclesia also means a, a, a separate or separated assembly. We have a group here. We're going to go into this group. And we're going to take part of them out. And they're going to be placed over here. A separate assembly. Ecclesia brought out. That's the meaning of the word. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, we have the picture of the model church. We don't have time to go through 1 Thessalonians 1, verse by verse, but we know that it's an important chapter describing the model church. Let me give you two or three highlights out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. In verse number 1, we find that the scripture was written unto the church. It was given unto the church. And then in verse number 3, it, sees, it describes for us what we are to be about. It talks about the church. It talks about a work of faith. We're working together. We're co-laborers. And we do it all by faith, believing the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then how do we get paid for our work? How, does, how do we get a paycheck for working in the church, the ecclesia, this group together? Well, that verse 3 says it's a labor of love. It's because we love Jesus, and Jesus loves us. It's not easy to understand in a secular world, but in a spiritual world, it's because we love the Lord. And that sixth verse says, 
that we receive the word, that actually part of being a part of the church is that you went through a time in your life that you not only received and believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, but then you received the word. And then look what it says, with the joy of the Holy Ghost. The, the Bible teaches that Jesus said, if I go away, I'll not leave you comfortless, but you can take the Holy Ghost with you to work. He'll abide in you, and I'll abide uh, in him. And what I have is that he never leaves me. He never forsakes me. I can go home today. I can go to work tomorrow. And you can, whatever you're doing, that the Spirit of God will travel with us. And then look at verse number 9. He says that the purpose of the church is to serve the living and the true God. The living and the true God. There are a lot of religions there's a lot of people that have all kinds of religions. But the Bible is clear for the church. There's only one true and living God. The Bible says no man shall see the Father except through who? The Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have that together. So we're called out of the world. And then not only am I, all right, watch this. I'm going to be called out of the world. All right, I'm out of the world, okay? I'm brought up here. I'm separated I'm an assembly called out. But then when I am called out of the world, then guess what? I am going to be set apart or kept in that position by the Word. It's the Word of God that teaches me. It's the Word of God that instructs me. It's the Word of God that holds me together. When you feel like you're coming unglued, well, it's the Word of God that's going to keep you glued. That's what God's teaching you. You're not only set aside, you're put up here, but you're kept in that position of fellowship by the power and the word of God. So God has established his word and he has established his will for the church. Now, we have Old Testament shadows of what's taking place today. We have Old Testament shadows. Things happened three, 4,000 years ago. God put them in the book so you could see the typology and study it, and you can have the relationship from the Old Testament to this very moment we're living in right now. Go with me to the book of uh, Genesis. And we know that in Genesis chapter 12, what do we have? We have Abram called out of the Ur of Chaldees, right? So walk with me. Let's, let's go through 2,000 years very quickly. Here we go. We're going to go through 2,000 years. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. All right? Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter number 2, we find out we have the creation and animation. Genesis chapter 3, we've got Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis chapter 4, we've got Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 5, we have the sons of Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 6, we've got Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 7 and 8. And nine, we see the ark being built, constructed, the flood, and all that's taking place. And then in Genesis chapter 10, we've got the sons of Noah, right? And then we go to chapter 11, that's the chapter of chaos, that's the, the Tower of Babel, that's the confusing of the languages. And then we come to Genesis 12, and this is the literal birth of the nation of Israel. This is the beginning. Genesis 1 to Genesis 12, 2,000 years, all right? 
So that's 2,000 years of church time history. And now when we're in this point, Israel's become a nation, and God said, I'm going to use this little group of people, and I'm going to teach everybody else by how I work with them, that you'll know about grace, you'll know about mercy, you'll know about laws and statutes, you'll find out about fellowship and walking with me. I'm going to use them so you'll understand. What about that? All right, let's go to Exodus 12 now. Go over in Genesis, Exodus, and go to Exodus chapter 12. And when we come to Exodus 12, drop all the way down to verse 12. Exodus 12, verse number 12. And when we come to this passage, notice what the Word of God says. For I will pass, the children of Israel, let's refresh our memory, they're in bondage, they're in slavery, they're being beaten every day with the taskmaster's whip there in Egypt. So they're in slavery, they're being punished, they're being used and abused. Verse 12, God's promised redemption of chapter 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Look at verse 13. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. All right? So we've illustrated that with a living acting play right here in our church and we uh, went through all these characters and right here uh, we put up the walls of the city and Goshen and Egypt and we had the houses and the Jews that believed they took the lamb they cut the lamb took the blood and they applied it to the doorpost now look at the illuminated cross in the back of the sanctuary you see the uh, axis going from the lintel at the top. If you applied the blood, the blood would drop from the top of the door all the way down to the ground. It would make that axis. Then the next axis, it said the doorpost. I'll put the blood on the left, and I'll put the blood on the right. And way back here in Genesis, we've got the blood uh, being applied in Exodus. We've got the blood being applied on the doorposts for the family. And if you're going to live, you got to be covered by the blood. If you're going to live, you got to be behind that door of grace because you can't do it yourself. The death angel's coming. Judgment's coming. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you've watched the news this week, but judgment's on the way. We can't, we can't help ourselves. This problem's so big, Republicans can't help us. Democrats can't help us. Libertarians and independents can't help us. Guess what? NATO can't help us. United Nations can't help us, right? right. America and, and England and France and the P5 plus one, they can't help us. World Bank can't help us. We're in a mess. And the only hope is the hand of God. And we've got to be a people of faith that know what we believe and why we believe it. And so what God put in his word is that these people live because they believed. They believed that the blood would protect them and keep them 
and would cover their sins and they would be inside behind the blood. Now, when I read this passage, I see that God spared them and the children lived and their firstborn animals lived, the goats, the sheep, the camels, the donkeys, firstborn, all lived. That represents their material wealth. All that was spared in, Gen in Exodus 12. Now go to Exodus 13. Here's the key. Exodus 13. Here's the key to the whole study. Verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. Now, I've been all over the map with that all, because all means all. So I wonder if the girls and the boys were included in this all, all the firstborn. Uh, it's an interesting study. I've read both opinions, all the firstborn. Whatsoever openeth the womb among the children, there it is again, of Israel. And then there's the man there, that's a re reference to human life. In other words, both of man and of beast. You see that? Now the next three words are very critical. He said all of the firstborn. All of the firstborn of the animals. He spared them in, in Exodus 12. They should have died in the judgment of God. They should have been consumed. They should have gone away. They should not be alive. But God, in grace and in mercy, provided, and a lamb was sacrificed, and the blood was applied, and they lived. And then you come to Exodus 13, and God says, from today forward, I want you to never forget. Remember what I did. You didn't have a prayer. You couldn't help yourself. The whip was on your back every day. You were making bricks out of mud and straw. Your children were starving. Your fingers were bloody from handling the bricks of servitude. You had no way out. You had no option. You had no self-help program. But God came into your problem and he provided a way out and the blood was applied. The judgment came and God passed over those that were covered by the blood. Right? And when I come to Exodus 13, he said, now, don't forget that. He said, set aside. And to this day, the Jews have a day out of every year, Passover, that they remember what happened way back then. They're still honoring the Word of God. They're still remembering. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? He said, remember your children. Remember your animals. That represents their material wealth, their houses, their lands, their animals. That's how they used for money back then with so many animals for a piece of land, so many animals for food and everything else, all right? He said, everything you own, I gave you. Now he said, look at these three words, it is mine. He said, it's mine. And you say, that's strong. Well, read it with me. Verse 3, and Moses said unto the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of the hand of the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. He said, you remember this day. 
don't you forget it. The latter part of verse number two, he said, whatsoever opened the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Your son is mine. Your daughter is mine. Your house is mine. Your animals are mine. Your money is mine. I gave you everything. You say, well, I work for what I got. Who gave you the air to breathe that you could go to work? Who put blood in your veins? Who gave you the health? Why are you not in a center for people that cannot walk or cannot see or cannot understand? Why did God give you the grace to be able to reason and to go to work and to have a life and to love a wife and to love a husband and to love your children? Everything I've got is a gift from a holy God. The clothes on my back, the car in the parking lot, the money in my wallet. I don't have anything that God did not give to me. I have no life, I have no being unless it comes from the hand of a holy God. The very friends that I are endeared to my heart, the very church that I love is a gift of God. All of you are a creation of His grace and mercy. We could not redeem ourselves. We could not save ourselves. We could not recycle ourselves. We could not redefine or repurpose ourselves. We were totally lost. We weren't halfway lost. We weren't partially out in sin. We weren't partially blind. We were totally blind. We were totally crippled. We were totally without hope. And God came and he cut away the bondage and led me out of the house of slavery. And I'm no more a prisoner of the work of the devil. I've been liberated. I've been set free by the grace of God. What a mighty God we serve. He said, you will be delivered and you'll be set free. And he said, everything you have, everything you own is a gift. Let's go to the New Testament for a closing verse. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. We read about it in the Old Testament. He said, it is mine. Well, guess what happened 2,000 years ago? Outside the old walls of Jerusalem, the Lamb of God died. And he bought me, and he bought you. You were a slave of sin. You were chained up with the lust of the flesh, the desires of your own will and purpose. And God personally walked you out of the house of bondage. God personally whispered in your ear that he loved you when you were not even worth loving. And he said, I love you. And he started cutting the chains off you and setting you free and walking you out. And now that I've been saved and now that I've been born again and now that I'm a part of the called out of the separated, now God from heaven says, now Ralph, you are not your own. You don't belong to you anymore. I bought you. It's not about what you want anymore. It, it's not your will, it's my will. He bought me, he paid for me. The only reason I'm here today is because he loved me. You get a hold of that. 
The only reason you're in church today is God gave you another opportunity. God gave you another opportunity. How many times did we tell him we'd do better and we did worse? We told him we loved him and we went away from him. You think about that. And God just kept loving you and kept loving you and kept loving you. And here you are in a family of faith. Romans chapter 1 verse number 1, Paul is talking. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Here it is, separated, called out, separated under the gospel of God. Paul is using a word here, a powerful word. It's a word, dolus, a slave in Greek. It's the lowest form of service. It's one who has given his heart. To the master. The master set him free. You've heard some people describe it as a love slave. That many centuries ago, they would be a family and they would be liberated from a benevolent master. There's all kinds of reasons to be in servitude back then. Most of it was debt. They couldn't make their credit card payment and they put them in servitude. Most of it was debt. And a family would have to work and work and work. And finally, maybe there'd be a kind master, a good master, and he'd say, I'm going to set you free. Here's your freedom. And that servant would say, I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have anything out there in the world. Nobody cares about me. Nobody's clothed me. Nobody's fed me. Nobody's watched over me like you have, master. If it's okay with you, I think I'll just stay with you. What do you mean? I'm setting you free. Yeah, but I love you. I don't want to leave you. I like being around you. I want to be with you. And they would take that slave over to the doorpost and take an awl and pierce a, a hole through the earlobe, a symbol of a love slave. I'm a free man, but I chose to go back and serve the master until the day I die. And what Paul's saying, Jesus set me free. I had all that money could buy. Paul was one of the wealthiest men in the New Testament. His family, the family of the Pharisee, he was on the council of Jerusalem. He was an intellect, probably a gifted genius person with his skills of language and the many languages that he spoke. And yet he said, when it comes to me, I'm just a slave. I'm just a slave. I'm a servant of the Most High God. And God wants us to have that peace today of knowing that our lives belong to Jesus. We're not our own. We've been set free. That's why when there, I go through things and you go through things we don't understand, God, my heart's breaking. Why'd you do this? We have to go back to the fact he knows. I don't know, but he knows. Because I love him, I'm going to trust him. And that ought to be our prayer today. Let's bow our heads and pray together, shall we? This morning, you may be watching on television or the internet, listening on the radio, and you say, Pastor Ralph, I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Well, you can trust Christ today to be your personal Savior. If you're in a big rig driving up the interstate, you can pull over to the side of the road, and you can make your, your truck an altar of prayer. You may be in a hotel room. You may be at your house. You can kick that recliner down and turn the coffee table into an altar. Find a place to pray. Maybe in a hospital bed. Flat of your back. 
that you can pray from that position and say, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. You know what he'll do? He'll save you. That's a promise. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He wants you to have that. You may have been saved and you've gotten away from God and you forgot who bought you and paid for you. This is the day of restoration and renewal. And then church, trying to serve the Lord with the cares and problems of life, God had this day for you that you could have that moment of recommitment. You may be in the auditorium today and you say, Brother Ralph, I can't do any of those because I don't, I've never invited the Lord into my heart. I want to. I've, I've thought about it. I've talked about it. But I've never acted on it. But I'd like to have Jesus come into my heart. With heads bowed and no one's looking, is there one to raise their hand and say, pray for me, Pastor Ralph. I'm one of those that needs Jesus. I want to invite him into my heart today. Would you just slip that hand up for prayer? Thank you, sir. Is there another one? Thank you, ma'am. Is there another one? Thank you, young lady. Is there another one? Thank you, young man. Is there another one? I need Jesus in my life. Is there one to say, Pastor Ralph, I believe I've been saved, but boy, I've wandered away from him. I've gotten careless and maybe even reckless. God spoke to me. Just lift that hand up for prayer. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's stand together quietly and reverently. No one leaving for just a second. If you raised your hand, the pastors are already here in the altar. They're going to meet you. And why don't you slip out? If you're burdened over someone in your family or if you've got a special need, you slip out. This is family time. You come and pray, will you? Well, Brother Dave's going to lead us in one verse. You bind the Lord today. Come on, let's pray together. Father, you see the church family today. You see the hands that were raised, the hearts that were touched. I pray, Father, that you would touch each one of them, that their chair would become a chapel. And there they would pray and say, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And from this day forward, I commit my life to serve you the best I can. Bless our visitors today and those that walk among us. I pray that you would have them encouraged by their visit in the house of the Lord today. Keep us safe this afternoon. Bring us back to worship you again tonight in spirit and truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for being with us today. I pray that today God spoke to your heart. You know, it's one thing to hear Ralph talk. It's one thing to hear a choir sing. It's one thing to hear a group bring a special song presentation. 
but it's altogether different when you're sitting there in that hotel room, in your house, maybe listening on your phone while you're at work, and God speaks to your heart. That's not me. That's not a Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian church. That's God. That's personal. That's you. And the Bible teaches quite clearly that when God touches your heart, when he speaks to you, that you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Bible teaches that all of us have to have him. You say, well, Brother Ralph, your dad was a preacher. My dad being a preacher couldn't help me. Well, you say your mama taught Sunday school and she prayed. That couldn't help me. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, not me, not the Baptist, the Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. Today is the day of salvation. You can begin anew. It can start over. The past can be covered by the blood. You can get out of living in your rearview mirror, the guilt, the problems. God can forgive you and you can start over today. You say, Brother Ralph, how is that possible? Well, a simple prayer is that very beginning. God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. And I promise you, God, from this day forward, I'll serve you with the rest of my life. You can begin again in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you call us, you write to us. We'll send you a copy of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you to get into a local church, a church in your community, that you can have a fellowship of faith that will help you grow and teach you about the Word of God. Today's the day of salvation. This is the first day of the rest of your life. Let's serve the Lord together and let's meet each other in heaven. I'll be praying for you and I ask you to pray for me.